Want the latest Sport Calgary updates in one place? Sign up for Sport Calgary's newsletter for the latest monthly updates sent straight to your inbox. Sign up at sportcalgary.ca. Oh, hey, kids. Uh, welcome to the original Six Feet Conversation podcast. I, I would be your host, Rob Kerr. How, how are you all doing? Everybody good? We're all good? I mean, we're all getting through this together. We're all washing our hands, social distancing, hunkered down. Uh, again, we cannot even begin to say thank you to everybody that's keeping us safe, the doctors, the nurses, the technicians, the first responders, the people in the grocery stores, the people delivering our food, everybody who's helping us get through this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm very excited about our conversation today. Very, very, very excited about our conversation today. Uh, we have a cool guest. I'm making a friend, kids. M- most of my full disclosures are, hey, this is a friend. This is a new friend of mine, um, and I am it, just tickled pink that we're going to get to have this conversation. Um, she is hoping to become part of our Olympic team for 2021 in Tokyo. She is a heptathlete. Uh, very pleased that Nicole Odenarden can spend some time with us today. Uh, Nicole is a really uh, cool person. And I'll just say, uh, out of nowhere, one of the great stories of all time gets, as far as I'm concerned, just we're moseying along and all of a sudden she blindsides me with a great story. Um, and that's you'll you'll pick it out because I I thought it was fantastic. Anyway, uh, looking forward to this conversation. By the way, Calgary is home to world class multi sport facilities. Find the facility closest to you at sportcalgary.ca. Kids, let's go one on one with Nicole Odenarden. I'm right. rolling tape anyway, so I'm just going to start here because it's the same question I ask everybody: How are you holding up? <laughs> ah, honest answers up and down it's been interesting actually because yeah. obviously everyone's lives were completely shifted and uh initially for me at first they're like okay you have no more training facilities and I was like oh okay that's a bit stressful but we'll make do it's nice out in Calgary and then all of a sudden the weather turned obviously <laughs> it was so wonderful for us yeah you, did, you didn't catch a break there no, I really didn't. Obviously, it's Calgary. It's yesterday. It was 14 degrees. Today, it's like what minus five and snowing. Yeah, that's about, that's about right. That's <laughs> exactly. about right. So it was really interesting. So that happened. I was like, okay, no training outdoors. I'll figure it out inside. And I was like, at least I can still work. And then my uh, my manager called me. She's like, you can't work anymore. Like we're cutting you off. Like we we just can't do it. So all of a sudden, my days went from leaving the house at 7 a.m. coming home at like. 7 30 8 o'clock at night every day to all of a sudden all I am is at home yeah and I live in a little basement suite with my husband and uh he still gets to go to work which is nice but it was just horrible at first in all honesty like I hated it I was like ah I'm so used to being so busy with so much intention and planning and like my day perfectly scheduled just as so many of us are we're creatures of habit and of pattern and then all of a sudden it was just gone and I was like oh okay and I kind of figured it out for a week or so and then I just crashed again and it was just so odd but uh I know a lot of people are experiencing that so is for you what just as an athlete mm-hmm. what was stress like was stress an issue something you work to deal with is there anything that you could take from your athletic background to kind of everyday life now a little bit, yeah. Like, obviously, in sport, especially in outdoor sport, you're always dealing with a new dynamic. Is it going to rain? Is it going to snow if you're in Canada? Yeah. Uh, how's the weather and everything along those lines? So you have to kind of be adaptable no matter what. But the difference with sport adaptability and then pandemic adaptability <laughs> is for sport, you can kind of figure it out. Maybe it'll be a day or two, maybe a week at most. But this, this is this is prolonged. We don't really know how to go about this. But uh I guess the nice thing about sport is I've been doing track and field now for 16 years. For the last nine years of my athletic career, they've been some of my best, but also my highest level of injury has happened in the last nine years. And so I've really had to learn how to like adapt my training, adapt my rehab and all of those kind of things. So yeah. And luckily for me, I have a sports psychologist and so I've already learned how to kind of tap in to the mental side of things and to really actually zone in and focus on the smaller, more attainable portions instead of, sure. Sure. I know for other people like my parents, even they're thinking really, really big picture. 
And that's a lot. That's stressful. That's hard. So I think that's probably more of the adaptability is better thanks to the psychology portion of things instead. So I want to have one fun question, then I'm going to I'm going to get into a couple of serious sports questions. But are you binging anything? Are you watching anything? What's getting you through right now? Oh, what am I binge watching? Well, uh, Disney right now. You get a one free monther. And so um, at first I couldn't run outside. And so I was trying to figure out what else I could do. And I could listen to Disney music and dance around my kitchen. And so I, yeah. I had all of the Mulan. I was doing the actions with Mulan as she's fighting the Huns and just being a goofball in my house. But it made it more fun. But yeah, definitely Disney. And then the Gilmore Girls, you know, just uh, the coffee-loving, super funny. So the original, or is there not a reboot there, too? I think there's a reboot. I haven't done that one yet. Okay, so there's original original Gilmore Girls. Yeah, I'm an original kind of person, but I'm not good at, like... So many people are telling me to watch like what the mentalist or um, a bunch of these like crime scene and like mental shows. And I can't do those. I am like the most paranoid person in the world after watching Bird Box. Um, I'm pretty sure I had to wake up my husband in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom with me because I was too afraid to go alone. Like I'm not going to those kind of things. Well, yeah. And bin- so you're you're binging the right things then, I would suggest. You're binging yeah. the right things. Um <laughs> Just to set the tone for us, where are you in terms of um, Olympic competition and, and that goal? Where where were you before all of this happened? Before all of this. So I was second in Canada, and uh, my standard was pretty good. I was 32nd in the world at that point in time. Okay. And they actually just announced uh, last year or this year that they, for the heptathlon, were instead of taking 32 athletes – they're taking 25. So all of a sudden I was in the gap and then it just dropped out of my range again. So I was actually supposed to be in Arizona March 30th to April 5th. So yeah, just this past weekend doing another competition down there. And usually that's a really good competition for me. It gets my standards high and it helps me kind of get up there and compete well at a familiar place because we train under there frequently. Yeah. But, uh, Obviously, that got canceled, and that was supposed to kind of catapult me into the season. So hopefully get back into Austria for the Hypo meeting, which is all of the best combined events, athletes, male and female. We all come together and really we fight for our points for International Athletics Federation and stuff. So it was supposed to be, yeah, a really good jump. And this is, if you ask my support staff, like my physios, my coaches, my trainers, everything, they're like, this is the fittest and the healthiest that you've been. This is your year. You're ready. And I was like, woo. Okay, we're ready. But uh, sadly, <laughs> I'm not in control of the world. No, but the the decisions that have been made, how will those impact you? The fact that Tokyo has been now pushed to 2021. Uh, initially, that first week of just waiting without any training facilities. And my coach is less romantic, so he's, yep. he's over the age of 70. So he's obviously in that uh, be careful, don't go near age category just out of safety and so he couldn't see us and coach us anymore and um that first week without knowing that athletics canada or just canada's athletics teams in general hadn't kind of removed us from the situation and the postponement hadn't occurred yet that was a horrible week Mm -hmm. it was super stressful and super difficult and i remember at that point in time being like i'm done like i wasn't ready to retire like but I, I guess I am. I don't know. Because I just had no idea how the summer, or not retire, but call a season. Because I had no idea how it was supposed to go anymore. But then, luckily, initially, obviously, as Canada pulled us all out, I was like, oh, that hurts. And that's going to suck. But I have faith that this will be the catalyst. That the IOC, the International Athletics or Olympic Committee, will see this. And they did. And with that postponement, I was like, okay fantastic like we got more time but then the panic set in again because what if they decided hey we're gonna do may of 2021 how are we supposed to qualify i'm not qualified yet yep and so obviously that kind of opened up a new can of worms but uh thank god it's been pushed it's kind of the it's like one day and a year further away than the initial timeline so it's helpful it's good it's It'll be good to reevaluate and get back in and get stronger like we we really figured it out this past year so kind of to finalize that like luckily I'm still a younger athlete I'm only 26 versus some of my training partners a little bit older they're in the 30s so it's a little harder on them but for me it's kind of a blessing in disguise like I get one more year to keep on running to kind of just 
really dive in deep and compete well and get that time with my coach to figure it all out and just, you know, finalize everything. How big is your team? You've mentioned a couple of different pieces, but how big is is the team that works with you? We're uh, So the athletes who train with me, we have four, four other athletes. Um, one of them is a heptathlete as well. Two of them are hurdler specialists, and then one is actually Sam Effa. He is yep. our sprinter from Canada, so he is my other training partner. And then we just have Les Kromatic and Duncan Margachuk as our coaches who come out daily. But then I am very fortunate, and our Canadian Sport Institute through Calgary, they have been an amazing group, and they gave me something that's called the Talent Lab. And so in that, I have, oh gosh, I have a sports psych, a physiologist, a nutritionist, physio, osteo, and a, did I say physiologist? Maybe. Um, in short. And so they're just like an all-encompassing team, a strength and conditioning coach, sorry. And they all just kind of work together. They figure out where my weaknesses lie and they just kind of try to build it up. So that way I'm as even and consistent as possible. So that's one of my amazing groups of people who I get to work with. That's a, a pretty big team. Is that consistent, do you think, with the competitors that you face from around the world? Do they all have teams that size? Hopefully, yeah. Actually, I think a lot of them do. Um, the combined events group is interesting because usually we have one, maybe two coaches more or less for all of our events yeah. because you really want to make sure it's cohesive across the board for those uh, seven to ten events, depending on if you're a deck or a hep. But it is difficult to manage, like, the fatigue, the nutrition, the psychology, every aspect about it, the injuries, because obviously the HEP and the decathlon are not uh, not natural movements necessarily. Mm-hmm. So it, I think across the globe, yeah, a lot of people have pretty large teams and they have a lot of research. Obviously, also, Canada is working hard in our sport research. And so out of Winsport, we have all of those um, – those testing pieces, like they have the performance labs and everything. So we get to do a lot of fun research alongside that as well. And so I've always liked being a little bit of a lab rat along the sides and, and getting to check it all. Cause I, uh, I graduated UFC with a bachelor of science kinesiology. So I'm a little bit of a, a human body nerd as well. And it, it's fun to be able to relate and have those kind of yeah. nerdy conversations with my team. But You know, I, I spoke to uh, a marathoner, uh, Trevor Hoffbauer, and we had a conversation about, um, analytics and technology, because mm-hmm. I don't know if a lot of people would look at, at heptathletes and go, oh, geez, I wonder, but I do. I, I'm very curious. Tell me about technology. Do you use technology in training and, and preparing for competition? A little bit here and there. Obviously, it's not the same as marathoners where they use like a heart rate monitor or a yeah. GPS or anything along those lines. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of them, they do measure their exercise or their rest and recovery and stuff like that. But for heptathlon, a lot of it is by feel. And so it has to be a lot of communication. Once again, as I mentioned, my coach is a little bit older, so it has to be verbal communication. And he can see something before I can even tell him half the time or he'll hear it in the way that I'm running. So if you've ever seen, I think it's called Moneyball. Yep. Yeah, Yeah. and so he can hear it he can hear the pitch or the sound or like anything along those lines and that's the same thing as less he can hear it as soon as he's watching you or listening or anything along those lines so technology is not as prevalent in our day-to-day training atmosphere and we actually are encouraged to put our cell phones away not touch them at all during our two three-hour training session just because he wants our focus to be there, even with the music out of the oval. Uh, that's where we train out of during the winter time. Mm-hmm. He gets frustrated by it because he's like, I don't want you listening to the music. I want you listening to your body. I want you to be present and I want you to feel everything. And so it is a lot more based on feel for us and just a lot of focus on that. So, yes, technology has its benefits. We do take video footage every once in a while and uh, Les will analyze it or send it off if he needs to. And our physios will use that as well just to see how we're stacked, our body mechanics. But it's not a day-to-day thing for sure. What about analytics and data? I I had the pleasure of spending a little time up at CSI, and I know that you have some tremendous researchers and and data analytics people up there. Do you use analytics? A little bit, as I mentioned again. Yeah, we'll use it maybe like in base season and then like once prior to competition. Okay. Or we did some like jump testing at one point in time to see like my power take off from two foot, one foot, anything along those lines, but not not as in depth as they do. Like I've done uh, a lactic threshold testing on treadmill and such like that. Mm-hmm. And but 
it's just not as not as prevalent for us. You mentioned him a couple of times. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your coach, uh, coach Les Grammatic. Um, he's a legend in Canadian yep. athletics. Um, and the research and the looking that I did with you, you have nothing but but praise for him. Can you just talk about your relationship with Les? Ha. Les is like a second dad to me. Obviously, you have to have a good relationship with your coach. We're spending two, three hours a day with each other at minimum. And when we go to training camps, that's, that's 10 days straight of just bonding time. But um, I knew Les actually when I was 13. He had approached my coach at the time at a competition. It was like, one day I'll coach that girl. And at the time, I was like, oh, heavens no. Like, I heard about you. You're a really strict coach. I'm just here for fun. Like, yeah. not a chance. But as I got older and I watched him and his way of coaching and responding to his athletes, I was I was so intrigued. And um, I actually went down to the NCAA for a couple of years. And I did that. But I had come up at Christmas time. And my sister was here in Calgary speed skating. So I lived with her for a week and trained with Les. And I remember him looking at my long jump approach and he's like, oh, something's weird here. He's like, step back like 13, no, 14 steps and we'll see how it works. And literally nailed the board every time. It was perfect. It was the perfect speed, the distance, everything. And he had just done that by like looking at it and how it was moving. So the man is brilliant. And you can tell even when we went to Australia for the Commonwealth Games, coaches just flooded him. He has the personality that just attracts everybody and like the passion and the knowledge too. And once again in Australia, I remember before my 800, it wasn't a great heptathlon for me. Uh, I'd actually torn my hamstring. We didn't know it at the time, but before my 800, he was like, okay, this is what you got to do. And he was shaking. He was so excited, but so nervous for me. You could tell if he could get out there and run the race for me, he would have, and he probably could have because he's hilarious. But, um, yeah, I have nothing but respect for Les and just everything that he's done through athletics and sport, even just in my life as an athlete. Um, as I mentioned, the NCAA system wasn't as kind to me as I was hoping it to be. Sure. And I left. Uh, growing up, I was nicknamed Sunshine. And once I left the NCAA system, my friends and family called me Salt Block instead sometimes because I was so salty. I was so bitter. Wow. I'm like not as happy as a person. Obviously, I didn't say it to my face until a couple of years later once I was out of that realm. But yeah. he he was really helpful. He would never let me be negative in training. He was always like, find the positive. Even if there's only one, find it. And so, yeah. It sounds like Les coached the person and not the athlete. Mm-hmm. 100% he did. And he, he or does, knows me so well. Yeah, yeah, he still does. Yeah, he still does. <laughs> he knows me so well. Even in my emails, he can read my emails and be like, hey, something's wrong. What's going on, Nikki? Or like, you're not training the way you should be or whatever. He's just, he's super intuitive into who I am. And maybe it's just my family as well. My sister and her coaches were always very close. And our coaches are more than our coaches. They're, they're family to us as well. So. How does he deliver bad news? How does he get you, Nicole, over a hump? Honesty. Yeah. A lot of honesty. Les is not one to sugarcoat anything. He will just tell it to you straight. He's a Eastern European fellow. So even in training, if you're doing a drill or something like that, he's like, oh, you look so stiff. You look like a Christmas tree in like February. You're dead. You're upright. What is this? And you're like, what? But after a while... It's, it's really interesting because as athletes, obviously, we need criticism. That's what we live for. Mm -hmm. And um, you get used to it being told to you. And so, yeah, he's always been good at delivering bad news to me. But more often than not, he's he's very honest in every situation. But he'll always give you a compliment at the end. So that way you feel a bit better. You, you said you, <laughs> mentioned you met him when you, you were 13. When you mm -hmm. first began to work with, it, with him, was it difficult was it easy what was the transition to go to work for less it was a little bit different just because i had my expectations of training uh in the ncaa system like we would train five six hours a day yeah. in the ncaa system versus with him it would be maybe two and a half but it was so quick we were so efficient and just right in there and uh yeah i did have different expectations i thought he was going to be more or I was going to be more afraid of him, in all honesty, that he was more of a dictatorship or instead of a leader. But he, he's a very dynamic and relational coach. 
instead. And he explains everything to you as you're doing it. How important is his reputation to you? How important is it that does he break out stories of athletes and, and superstars that we would know? Is he that? How does his past experience benefit you? Mm, of course. Well, he's been coaching, gosh, I don't even know, twice my lifetime. So he's been he's been doing this forever and a day. And yeah, he like he busts out some names every once in a while of like Michael Smith or Jessica Zalinka or or other athletes. And it's fun, as I mentioned, whenever we go to meets, because lots of athletes become coaches later on in life. Mm-hmm. And uh, we go to competitions internationally and all these athletes come running up to him, but they're now coaches. And they're like, oh, remember how you did this and how you taught me that? And so he is really, really smart. But honestly, the reputation uh, that wouldn't matter to me. At the end of the day, it's not if he made these phenomenal athletes. It's can he make me a phenomenal athlete? Can he make me a phenomenal human being? That's what I care about. Because at the end of the day, the past is the past, but the present is what we're living in. Two years at San Diego State, is that right? <laughs> yeah, correct. What was the recruiting process like for you? <laughs> it was really fun. Um, thank the Lord for my parents. My parents were wonderful because I think we received over 30 um scholarships in short from different universities in the Canadian and the American system and so my parents were phenomenal and they took it upon themselves to help kind of sift through those programs like I'm sure my mom stayed up late at night like googling and figuring out who's what school and everything along those lines so it was interesting I took my my four official visits to the schools I really thought I was going to be an Oregon duck Mm -hmm. and uh, at the time I was like oh I'm ready to sign with them and then my scholarship dropped from a certain percentage to a lot lower and I knew I couldn't afford it and um, my coach at the time was Linda Blade up in Edmonton and she was just phenomenal and she had a really good relationship uh, with one of the coaches in Wisconsin uh, Nate and I was going to go there that was my top choice after that but they had to pull out because their program just no longer wanted combined events athletes so he said no to that but he he recommended the coach at, at SDSU and said this is a really good coach like Nikki should look there so I did two visits there, one official, one unofficial. And it's California, you know? Like who doesn't <laughs> Who doesn't want to go? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was it was really fun. Um in my final year in grade twelve, actually, I did some damage to my knee. And so uh the coach at SCSU said that they would they would give me the surgery I needed too, and it wouldn't be an issue. I'd get the surgery, the rehab, everything, and they'd build me back up. And so it was a great first year. My first year in San Diego State, I broke two Canadian records. Like I had made it to the NCAAs as a freshman. They thought I could have won it, but other things happened at that competition. Just things happened. But at the end of the day, yeah, a great a great experience, and I'm happy that it happened. Um, I wouldn't change it for the world, although it just wasn't the place where I was supposed to be anymore. So what, what drove, not drove you, but what tipped you back to come back to Canada, come back to the USC? It's a different system in the States, that's for sure. Yep. I had uh, I had two surgeries in my two years that I was down there, and it is very competitive, very stressful. Um, in my second year, we actually got a different coach, uh, like a second coach in there, and we just didn't meld very well. We didn't have a good relationship. Things kind of changed, and I, I just I didn't want to be there anymore. Um yeah, it wasn't the place for me. And at NCAAs, two years in a row, actually, I triple faulted in high jump. So obviously, there are some psychological issues going on there as well. But just at the end of the day, it wasn't the right place for me. And I'm I'm very glad that I came to UC instead. Well, it sounds like in, just in the brief time we've talked that comfort is such an important part for you as an athlete, right? You need to be mm-hmm. comfortable with your coach. You need to be comfortable in your environment. You need comfort is really what you're striving for. Yeah, I think most people are. I think uh, we're all creatures of habit, as I mentioned. And also, you know, we like comfort. Everyone does. Everyone has their favorite sweater or blanket or maybe your good luck socks. Like that's the comfort that we seek. Sometimes it's material. Sometimes it's community and everything along those lines. Also, you know, I'm I'm very family oriented and my two sisters live here in Calgary. My parents and my brother are up in Edmonton. So it's nice to be in the same country as them as well. So what was the competition like? What was it to go from NCAA competition to U sport competition? Was it a difficult transition? That was a little bit more difficult. Yeah. In the States, I was used to competing almost every weekend and pretty extensively too. I would do um, like a HEP and then pretty much all of the HEP events plus relays 
again and in the NCAAs uh, and frequently. And so it was nice. It was good to get all that competition in so consistently. Yeah. Not so good when you're injured or injury prone like myself, but it was great competition because the, the amount of people in the States, you know, how many people are in California? Well, greater than that of the population of Canada. Yeah. So, you know, we had great variety of athletes and everyone was striving hard. So coming back to Canada, that was a little bit of a harder part was that, you know, it just wasn't the same level of competition. I really, I really did miss that level of competition, but I loved the people that I got to compete with here. Since it was a smaller group of us, you really got to know all of the Canadian athletes who follow their stories. You get to watch everyone else's events. So it is a little bit of a tighter knit group. And I did miss the big expansiveness of the States, but I still went down to California, Arizona yearly and did at least one heptathlon down there to see all my old friends and, and get that same competitive edge. So it's a little different, but you know, not bad. Did you have a little bit of a, your, a target on your back at, at U sport competitions because you came, you were an NCAA athlete. Did that mean anything, change anything? Was there, you know, when you competed against other people, did they view you differently? I guess you'd have to ask them. Okay. I don't know how they viewed me. Um, you didn't feel it. Like, it, it was nothing that manifested itself or anything like that. No, not that I ever noticed. No, like, Canadians were, were so sweet. We're kind. Everyone's so nice, and we all talk to each other. Yeah. So it was never an issue for me uh, being back in the – or, sorry, the youth sports system. It was, a, it was a good system and good people. Like, obviously, a little bit smaller and more tight-knit. But, yeah, it never – it never felt like a bad place to be to me. I think more NCAA would be more feisty with the target on your back. I remember being the only white girl in like 200 or 400 meter races. And my coach was also an African-American and she was just like, yep, you can't lose. You have to win. You have to prove them. I'm like, oh, okay. And it, like in Texas, I remember they actually used to have to send the athletic trainer with me to the bathroom because they were afraid that me, the only white female in the place was in danger at some point points in time just because you know it's just a different life down there right absolutely um not sure what sports are provided in calgary sport calgary sport directory will help you find the sport and sport organization that's right for you visit sportcalgary.ca to learn more what did you what did you play growing up what were you what kind of athlete were you growing up ah combined events athletes mean that we do everything i'm pretty sure i had too much energy for my parents to even handle so i did badminton i did track i did basketball and volleyball i couldn't do soccer because i don't know why i was not good at kicking a ball but i tried it anyways um i am not good i will never beat serena williams i will never beat even the worst tennis player that you've ever seen in your life i'm not good at tennis but heck i'll still try but uh, my sisters all did speed skating. I tried that as well. I hate winter. I despise it. I'm not made for cold weather. So I didn't like that sport. So I jumped out of it real quick. But volleyball and basketball, I did all throughout junior high and high school when I did track as well. And that was that was my favorite. I loved being a part of a team. I loved running hard or, you know, just volleyball was such a great and fun sport. Me and my husband have talked about it now that once I retire from track, we're joining a rec league volleyball team. Like hands down, we got to do it. So <laughs> he's six foot four. So obviously, you know, we'll, we'll dominate in height, but yeah, everything and anything that we could do, we played as kids. So you, you find track and field, but when do you find the combined portion of track? Was it is there a little bit of, of your journey is is trying to find the right place or did you find heptath heptathlon right away? Uh, I think I was only in sport or track for about four years before I found the heptathlon. Um, Calgary Warriors track and field coach Jan Lips actually was working at the Legion Nationals training camp here in Calgary at the time. I had come, I was doing all the events, having fun. Uh, it was funny, the first time I picked up a javelin, I smoked the back of my head with it because I didn't know how to properly propel it. And then it became one of my best events, which is hilarious. But uh, yeah, I I loved doing everything. You couldn't let me sit down. Patrick Powell was one of my first coaches in Edmonton, and he was wonderful. He actually used to come and play a saxophone at the track when we ran. And if he picked up tempo, you'd pick up pace. It was fun. It was fantastic. I had a great time growing up in sport, but uh, I always knew I was I was made for more events than just one. I couldn't do just one. I had too much too much energy, too much desire to keep going. So, give us the mindset of a heptathlete. 
Do you love one more than another? Are they like your children? You love all seven? How do you, you know, how do you, to me, it's funny, we live in a world where I don't think we have enough kids doing multi-sports, yet you're the, the epitome of someone who, who is a multi-sport athlete. How do you view the, the different disciplines? Huh, that's interesting. I'm not a mom myself. I'm an aunt, so I have all my, my nieces and nephews whom I love. But uh, for sport itself, obviously, when one event is going well, you like that one a little bit more. Sure. Like when high jump is pieced together properly and you're clearing bars, oh, there's nothing like that feeling. Because that's the one event. High jump is the one event where you don't stop until you fail. Because you have to do three faults or else you're not out. And so I remember high jump always being something where I'm like, oh, I got to get better. I got to get better. But uh, for sure, like... You can sense the emotion of all the females and when we're competing. And as soon as javelin, everyone's up for their final throw, you can feel everyone's energy start collapsing. And you're like, what's going on? Oh, yeah, the 800. That's coming up. And you can just tell everyone's getting anxious. So over the years, I've gotten fitter and I like the 800 a little bit more. But man alive beforehand, I remember hating the pentathlon, the heptathlon. Because I was like, oh, the 800. I have to do that again. So obviously that's not my favorite now it's better but like hurdles you're running full speed at 10 stationary objects and you're hoping you don't fall and i've had my fair share of face plants and hurdles but uh i think i like the heptathlon as one because it is the heptathlon is one event with seven disciplines Mm -hmm. so at the end of the day i chose the perfect event for myself it's a challenge but it's also it's a comfort because you know you always get the same seven always in the same order and you know what to expect so what I don't understand is, are you expected, when you're at the elite level you're at, when you're at the elite level, are mm-hmm. you expected to be able to win or place in all seven disciplines, or do you have three or four that are your strengths that will help carry you? What's the mm-hmm. mindset? It's different, obviously, for any any heptathlete. That's okay. kind of the fun part about it. Um, it's best to be consistent across the board. Obviously, like if you look at Nafia and she's our, she won the Olympics in 2016, she's consistently phenomenal across the board. Obviously, high jump, she was jumping to a one, which is incredible. That's that's skyrocketing of points. And each event is kind of sanctioned with their points and point value that you're trying to achieve. But like hurdles, high jump, long jump, 800, those have great points, which is sucky because I'm a great thrower. But, you know, <laughs> those don't give you as many points, obviously. Sure. sure. Um but yeah, the goal is always to get get in the top. It just depends on what competition you're doing. Like if I'm doing in Canada, I need to get top one, top two in every event that I'm doing to get the points that I need or the standing that I need. But when I'm in the States, kind of the same range. Like I want to get top like four and upwards as I'm competing. But uh, yeah, for me, it's consistency because I'm, I'm pretty solid in all of the events. I just need to make sure that I'm consistent across the board. So there's a couple things that you brought up that I want to kind of dig down on. Let me stay kind of in the the the, the, the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. As you mature as an athlete, do you find that you get better or fall off on any one particular sport? Are you better today than you were three or four years ago at one sport just because you physically have matured? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, a couple things to – Yeah. Like physically, I'm I'm finally getting better at hurdles again. Because when you're a kid, you're not afraid of anything. No. And so I think I was really, really, really good at hurdles when I was younger. Because I wasn't afraid. I was like, okay, run full speed. Why not? And then after I've hit a couple hurdles and fallen a couple times, I'm like, okay. A little more hesitant. But now we've beaten that back down. So it's all good. But uh, yeah, just as you get older too, like even just learning how to pace properly for an 800 or like the power aspect of it for like the 200 or long jump. I've definitely gotten better at sprinting because I've learned how to utilize every portion of my body properly versus when I was a kid, I was like, let's just run. And so you definitely learn, but certain things do fall off. That's the thing. Like the faster you get, the harder it is to control. So long jump can become more difficult to control it properly, get your speed underneath you and take off in the optimal position. So yeah, it's definitely a give and a take. Like that's, it's more of an equation for sure of how we have to properly train and think about it mentally and like the body that you need to have. It has to be very specific, obviously for the heptathlon. Yeah. 
<laughs> a couple of questions in competition. Are you a scoreboard watcher? or How do you avoid not becoming a scoreboard watcher? Yeah, I'm not. Um, I actually, I couldn't even tell you what my day one personal best is versus my day two personal best. My parents do. My parents will sit up in there with their little, my dad does, he has the heptathlon calculator and he'll be putting in my scores as I'm competing and he'll be doing all that. I don't, I don't touch it. I don't look at it. I don't, nope. Because at the end of the day, I always say that once you cross the finish line, your time can't change. It doesn't matter. Once that pencil writes down your jump, whatever, it's gone and you can't change anything about it. So why are you worrying about your past scores and trying to manipulate your ones coming up? Why don't you just try your best? And so that's kind of the mentality that I have instead, instead of trying to scoreboard it down and put those numbers in my head where I'm expecting, okay, long jump, you have to jump 620. Instead, I'm like, hey, it's long jump. You need to drive strong out of your first six and be upright at the board. So instead of doing it, the numbers and the scoreboard and trying to kind of psych yourself out in that way, I'm more of a here, choose three cues, and that's how you're going to run. So a question that's similar but not the same is because your competition is two days, Mm -hmm. how do you put day one behind you, disconnect, recover, go to sleep, get up? How difficult is that time away from competition between day one and day two for you? Mm. It is definitely difficult coming into day two because you're sore and you're tired and maybe you're happier about yesterday or maybe you're upset about it. But yeah, you do have to walk away from it at the end of the day. And it, it depends on the competition as well, where you're at like international competitions. They, they sometimes break up the day. They'll do two events in the morning, two events in the afternoon or evening. And then you have less time and you come back in the morning, you do one event and then two events in the afternoon. So it, it's, it can be different, obviously. And the mental side of things can be really, really difficult. But yeah, I, I write down all seven of my events in a notebook. I write down my three cues that I'm allowed to do. And then once the event is done, I cross it. And I just cross it out. And that's my way of mentally being like, hey, you're done. You've moved on. Look at the next one. And that's how I function through it all is I'm trying not to look behind me at the what I did do and look ahead of me at what I'm expected to do. Instead, I'm just trying to look at what I have to do. Are you drained or do you come home or come home or leave the event with adrenaline in your body? Does it take you a while to come down? Mm-hmm. Of course it does. Yeah. Especially after the 200. So we finished day one with a 200 and day two with the 800 and uh, finishing day one, you finish that 200 and you're all excited. And you're like, okay, I got to cool down. You got to, you got to do all the steps properly to cool down, get your food in, get home, shower, change, get ready for sleeping, everything. So yeah. it is, it's hard because you still have your step-by-step, everything that you need to do. You need to recover properly. You need to do your stretching, your rehab, your eating of certain things, prepping all of your stuff for the next day. And so, yeah, it can it can get in your head, especially thinking of the next day. You're like, okay, if your first one went well, I got to maintain that. I got to keep going. I can keep my build up. And it's hard not to put expectations on yourself, yeah, and to just calm down. A lot of times our psychologist has worked with me on breathing. And mm-hmm. so breathing is the best way for me to calm my heart rate down, to only focus on that. And that usually helps me to fall asleep or just kind of calm down in the best capacity. Can I talk to you on game day? Or are you so focused that you don't have time for people? Um, you know, you're, do you talk to your family? you talk to your sisters and your parents on game day or competition day? Or are you at a different level? Depends. Okay. Uh, before hurdles, no. I'm not very good at talking to other people. I'm usually pretty nervous or my conversations are pretty short. Just because, you know, it's the start of two days as soon as hurdles is done as soon as that gun goes off for the first event of the first day it's fine after that point i'm happy i'm in it i've done it and like we've begun so now i'm I'm a lot more relaxed and usually we'll have a little bit of a dance party and stuff so um you can ask less once again in australia i don't know why australia is my like favorite heptathlon even though it wasn't a good one it was my favorite one but before hurdles, I was just standing there shaking. I was so nervous about everything. And as soon as hurdles was done, I remember being at high jump and Sweet Caroline was on. And there's 40,000 people in this stadium. And I was a little bit nervous. And Les was like, Nikki, 
pick up that cone on the ground and sing into it and get the crowd going. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, okay, sure. And so. Whoa, that's whoa, 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 whoa. Let, let's <laughs> told you mm-hmm. in competition to take a pylon yeah. and, and lead everybody in Sweet Caroline. Yeah. That might be yeah. the greatest story I've ever heard. <laughs> might be the greatest story I've ever heard. And that's why Australia is my favorite. No, it was hilarious because oh, he knows so me. And he knows that I'm a goofball and he knows that I need to have fun or else I'm too serious about the things. And so he's like, do oh. it. Do it, Nikki. And so I remember doing it. My my sports psychologist at the time was standing in the crowd and he's like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> but then I cleared the next jump and it was great. We had a great competition. It was super fun. So that was exactly what I needed at the time. Well, and it goes back to the comment you made about coaching the person and not the athlete, right? Like, yeah. he knew it. He knew it. Um, yeah. At the risk of exposing myself for a complete fraud here, you mentioned about 10 minutes ago your dad on a heptathlon calculator. Yeah. Is that an actual thing? Yeah, yeah. If you type in on Google heptathlon or decathlon calculator, yeah. And you can just enter in your scores as you're going, and it'll give you uh, the final, like, value of, your competition heptathlon or like along the way it'll give you each event how many scores or what you scored for points after whatever you've put in so if say i ran or i high jumped like a 178 you can put it into that calculator and the number will show up right next to it of your score so so why does your dad do that is that is he reminding you or is that for him is that for him to, to calm his nerves of watching his daughter compete maybe maybe or he's also just as competitive as me and he wants to see what i can do and so he gets just as excited as me and and wants to wants to know what's happening it's really sweet um he's always tried to coach me as a kid growing up as well and it's really been a bonding point for us too and he can't throw at all if you watch him throw a baseball his his hand hardly comes over his shoulder and he throws more like a girl than i do but um we bonded over that and we would go and throw baseballs for a while until someone gifted me a javelin and then we'd go throw a javelin in the field together and he would always be coaching me. So I think it's, it's our thing together too, just to do sports and to be around. Like he used to bike through our small town of St. Albert and I would run next to him and randomly he would just start picking up pace. He's like, come on, Nikki, keep up with me. This is, this isn't the 800. They're going to go fast all of a sudden. I'm like, what? We've been running five kilometers. You want me to go fast now? But that was just how it was. So my dad is, yeah, he loves to calculate the things. He loves to be a part of it, I think. And he likes doing the other girl scores too and see how far we are. I don't know why. Maybe it keeps him busy during the day, but he loves it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Tell me about the people you compete against. Tell me about the world you're in. Is it tight knit are there villains do you have rivals how 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 would you describe your world the heptathlon is a lot more fun i think than just being a sprinter or just a jumper or anything like that because imagine going into a sprinting competition you you show up you check in you load into your blocks you run your race you walk away Mm -hmm. but for the heptathlon you do that and then you get to sit with each other for two hours before your next event or you're there in between each event and it is a smaller group we are a smaller community not everyone obviously does the heptathlon or decathlon so we're pretty uh pretty close to each other and at least for me and the girls in the states i have a couple girls in europe that i'm really close with as well and we cheer for each other that's the fun part is if someone clears the bar you hear us all clapping and getting into it and it's like we have fun with each other because we're going through such a difficult time together we know we're not all great at every event or we're nervous or whatever so you can definitely tell heptathletes are more of a sisterhood we take care of each other and like yeah it's much more fun you'll see at the end of a hep that everyone after the 800 we all gather arms and we do a full victory lap not just the first or second or third place athlete all of us because we all got through it really yeah Th- that is very somewhat unique, would you not suggest? Or do they do that in a decathlon too? Yeah, they do it in decathlon as well. Okay. But yeah, so for the combined events athletes, it's it's typical that afterwards all of them line up and we all get a picture all together and or we'll run that lap. And it's really fun. Like, yeah, of course, first, second, and third will have their flags. But even so, as combined events athletes, we all cheer each other on. What What drives you? Why are you an athlete? 
so many reasons. Um, love. A lot of it's for love of the sport. I've always loved it. And it's been a big part of my life growing up. My my parents were both athletes growing up too. And uh, my mom did aerobics forever. And so we grew up in the house doing like jazzercise pretty much and like dancing in the kitchen, doing workouts and going on beat and tempo and stuff. And my dad was a hockey player. And uh, that's where I get my aggressiveness from maybe. But uh, it's always been something. My whole family is very active. My uh, second oldest sister went to the 2010 Olympics for speed skating. And we always joked around that after I was done going to the Summer Olympics, that we'd go to the Summer Olympics again, but for volleyball. We're not even that good at playing volleyball, but we thought (laughs) we could make it in beach volleyball to the next Olympics. It's just, yeah, doing sport. And it's definitely a part of my identity now. Like, as I said, I've been doing this for 16 years. Uh, I've been waking up at the same time or eating the same things or doing the same stuff all the time. I love it. And I just, I love the people around it. I love the adrenaline, the accomplishment, everything. What's success? How do you define success? Ha, that's also a hard one because it's not, when I was younger, obviously it was how many personal bests can I get? How many medals can I get? Can I make this national team or that national team? But now it's, can I overcome a fear? Can I do better than I did last time? Or is it just, it's hard. It's really difficult because it's no longer just about winning or getting the best score successes. Can I get through this healthy without any injuries sometimes? Even that's a success. Or every day, can I come in with a good attitude and leave with a good attitude? That's success in a day. So it, it has changed, obviously, as I've gotten older and I've changed my personality and just, you know, matured over the years. Success has changed. But, uh, yeah, mostly that happiness, I think, would be like the most strongest version of success. You mentioned about in competition, about kind of, you know, just like living in the moment and, you know, controlling mm-hmm. what you can control. Difficult to ask an athlete at your age about post-career, but have you given any consideration to what you want to do when and if you decide to, to hang it up? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, uh, I think it's smart for athletes to do that. Um, we have something called game plan with the Canadian sport Institute. And so I actually take part in a lot of those kind of opportunities. And someone mentioned it to me before that obviously sport is kind of like a mountain and you're hiking up this mountain, trying to reach your goal. And once you get to the top of that mountain, you look around you and you see that there are so many other mountaintops that you can still do. But first you have to come down this one. And so obviously that's putting in, least in my mind sorry something that I want to do once I'm done um my husband is a musician and he's given up so much for me to pursue sport and we've lived in a tiny little basement suite and he had to leave (laughs) Kelowna and you know it was hard and so if I get to help chase his dreams too afterwards once I'm done if we get to live in a van and go drive around and get him playing at any music place that we can sure let's do that or if it is in a career I uh, I really love geriatrics. So that is seniors. That is anybody over the age of like 60, 65 years old. That is my heart. That's where I belong. And yeah, it's funny. Me and my sisters would go for walks when we were living together. And uh, she would see a baby and be like, oh, a baby. I'm like, look, a senior citizen. And I would like go run over to them to go talk with them instead. So I, I definitely want to take my kinesiology degree and, and do something in that realm instead. Very cool. And it's, it's kind of neat that you brought up music because I want to, I got two more for you. And, and the one last one kind of, uh, before I get to the, the regular one I ask everybody is, you mentioned less talked about music in, at the Dome or at the Oval, didn't want the music. Do you train with music? Do you listen to music when you train? We do if it's on, like if it's over the speakers or something like that, but I don't bring headphones in. Okay. I don't have like the song I have to listen to before I compete. I'm I'm not big on that. I don't know names of musicians and all honesty. I don't know names of songs. I can give you a couple lyrics, but that's about it. Like yeah. it's never been the end all be all for me. But uh yeah, like we'll we'll have fun with songs obviously and we taught Les how to work Spotify, and so he just walked around with his laptop all the time for like a week, and he's just like, listen to this song. And even <laughs> if we were listening to music, he would overpower ours. But uh, yeah, I've never been one who I'm like, I need to have my music in, my headphones in. I actually hate 
when at competitions athletes have headphones in because then they're obviously just in their own world. They're not watching which lane they're in or if they're being safe sometimes. So I'm actually not a big advocate for music on the track. I want to ask you one last question. I ask everybody, I don't put any parameters on it, but because we're celebrating the athletes and sports in Calgary and and Alberta, um, I want to know what your hidden Calgary gem is. Give me your hidden Calgary gem and no parameters. You, you come up with the parameters. Like hitting Calgary Jam, like, are you talking music? Are we talking I am not putting a parameter on it. It's all yours. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, My hidden Calgary Jam. See, that's my worry now, is if I tell Calgary what my hidden Calgary Jam is, all of a sudden all of Calgary is going to be in my gem. You are the first person to raise that, and I'm I'm surprised it's taken this long, but that's fair. Okay. So you can give us us some subterfuge. You can send us in a different Uh, direction if you like. Hmm. Okay. My hidden Calgary gem. Oh, I have a couple. Uh, one of them is obviously the river. Our river is something that everybody loves, and you'll always hear people say, "Oh, I love to run the river." Eh. I like to walk it because then I actually get to see it. But there's one spot in particular in the summertime that we love going to on the river. And uh, Mitch and I go sit there and it's right where a little outlet happens in the in the river. So people, whenever they're floating, they get stuck in it. And so they just sit there spinning in a circle right in front of us. And we just sit there and we watch. And <laughs> and it's our favorite summer pastime to do because we get to meet people and we're like, oh, you have to paddle out then up. But it's one really great spot that we get to meet new people and like sit and play cards and just enjoy the sunshine down there. So love it. That's love one of my spots. Otherwise it's coffee and it's monogram coffee and any of the monogram locations. Those are, those are my favorite. You are a very special person. This has been so much fun for me to get to know you and, and to talk to you. This has been more fun than I could have ever guessed. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Good. I'm glad that you had fun. I always love chatting and meeting new people and doing fun stuff like this. <laughs> Nicole was such a cool guest. Loved having her. I love this conversation. How about that story, by the way? You will never, ever quite hear um, th- that Neil Diamond hit uh, Sweet Caroline quite the same way again. Loved it. Lots of energy there. Really pulling for um, fantastic conversation about a heptathlete and a multi-sport athlete. I thought that was a lot of fun. So thanks to Nicole. Thanks to you. If you haven't checked out uh, a podcast yet, make sure, after this one, now you're doing it, make sure you do. We got all kinds. Mary Moran from uh, Sport Calgary and Calgary Economic Development, Cassie Campbell Pascal, to name a few, as well. Al Coates, Peter Mar. There's just a breadth and a depth of podcasts there for you to check out. And you can subscribe at Spotify and Apple. Uh, this has been an original six feet conversation podcast at sportcalgary.ca. 